Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to The Suitcase and The Scribe with award-winning journalist Scott Burnside and former NHL goaltender Mike McKenna, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside of The Suitcase and The Scribe here. Oh, the clock ticking down to trade deadline NHL style 2022 Monday, 3 p.m. Eastern in advance of... The trade deadline, I had a chance to talk to uh, a few folks who understand the trade deadline dynamic very, very well. Uh, I hope you'll enjoy my conversations with them uh, as much as I did in, in chatting with them, uh, uh, starting with Colby Armstrong, a uh, longtime pal and NHL player who was at the heart of one of the big trades early in the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, emergence as a Stanley Cup contender. Lots of great uh, detail from Colby about his experiences. Uh, a little uh, cameo from Sidney Crosby in that as well. So give that a listen. It should be fun. Uh, also caught up with uh, Jay Feaster, who is the current Senior VP of Legal and Business Affairs for the Tampa Bay Lightning but was also the GM when the Lightning won their first Stanley Cup in 2004. Uh, And some great insight from Jay on the moves that led to that championship and some moves after and his take on what has happened, of course, in Tampa with back-to-back Stanley Cup wins in 20 and 21. And finally, another good pal, Brandon Walker, longtime team services uh, coordinator for the Nashville Predators. Uh, People don't understand all of the machinery at trade deadline. Uh, The NHL's team services staff, they are the ones that have to make things happen, whether it's flights or immigration papers or getting equipment, uh, all that kind of stuff behind the scenes. Uh, Brandon Walker, some great insight on what that part of the trade deadline is like from uh, NHL team perspectives. So, uh, very fun all in all and hope you'll uh, enjoy the conversations as much as I did in having them. All right. I, I got to tell you, and I, Colby, if people knew the hoops that we had gone through to get this <laughs> happened and uh, I appreciate your patience and putting up with my technological limitations, which are many, but it's so good to see you. We cross paths almost in Vegas at all-star. You were doing some work for Sportsnet. You're at your home in Pittsburgh. How are things, my friend? Yeah, they're good. Yeah, I wish I, I ran into you briefly in the lobby of the hotel where the players were at, and I was talking to someone, and you were talking to someone, and then it was like, hey, why'd you why'd you not say hi to me? Like, you know, a little rub. I got a little text from you. And I was like, I totally didn't mean it. It was just like everything was happening. And, uh, 
Uh, I, I used, I'm used to seeing you. Yeah. Living in Pittsburgh here on the playoff runs that the pens usually go on year to year and uh, spend quite some time with you. So um, yeah, we didn't meet up, but I guess this is the way to do it now. Right. This is the way, but here's the thing. We never know what will happen in the playoffs and you do uh, a lot of work uh, providing analysis for the Penguins pre and post game show, do some radio, do some television, and you will be in Toronto doing Sportsnet's uh, trade deadline of Palooza. We'll give Sportsnet a little plug here, Uh, but I want to start. I mean, there's a a couple of different trade deadline things here, and uh, but I want to start with one of my, To me, it's fascinating because it was a trade deadline story that involved you and it involved my former hometown team, the Atlanta Thrashers. And uh, it did involve a future Hall of Famer. You were right in that mix, too. But Marion Hosa did sort of (laughs) he he sort of just he got a little ahead of you. Yeah, Um, yeah, he pulled away. Yeah, but it was it actually, you know, I jest, but it was a trade that I don't think it's overstating it, you know, was of critical importance to the Pittsburgh Penguins, you know, Pascal Dupuy going in that deal as well. A guy who became a sort of an iconic player in Pittsburgh. And of course, Marion Hosa goes to Pittsburgh. Then he goes to Detroit. Then he goes to Chicago. Finally, three times lucky there, hall of fame guy and a terrific guy as that. But if, can you walk us through what that was like? I mean, you were part of that young penguin team that had really grown up really quickly um, you know, after the 0405 lockout, and of course, with Sidney Crosby there and, and Evgeny Malk and Chris Letang. Um, walk us through that trade deadline period, whether you felt it was coming or what it was like from your perspective. Yeah, yeah, it was interesting times, right? And you said it, it kind of happened fast with this, with our team growing up. And we had a lot of really good young prospects and kind of by way of, you know, the financial state of the Penguins for, you know, a while leading up to that lockout. Uh, and our minor league team where I played in the American league, uh, was really good for several years. And we had, uh, you know, really good young group of and skilled group of, of players. And we had guys there, if you remember the Yager trade as well from Pittsburgh. So we, uh, amassed some more prospects off of that trade as well. So not only were they doing poorly and collecting, you know, good, good prospects through the draft, just because of, of that, and we know how that works. Uh, you know, the Yager trade also kind of, boosted it to getting some more guys. So our team was really good and was kind of like peaking towards, um, you know, being young and being good, but we couldn't be there because <laughs> the financial, you know, s- uh, setup of the Penguins had us down in the minor. So once the lockout ended and Crosby came, then we got Malkin and, you know, Flurry developed and he mentioned Latang, and we already had Whitney Orpik myself and on and on Max Talbot, another guy that was, you know, in, you know, big for the Penguins early. Um, uh, we kind of turned it around and we just started like getting good really fast. And we kind of grew up together really, really fast as a team. And, um, once we kind of got into that, you know, kind of picture Bernie, where it's like, okay, we're like, a like, you know, we think we could do something here. And it just, just like happened like that. Uh, I remember, you know, obviously Hosa was a name that was coming up that trade deadline year. And, uh, uh, I, I, I think there was like, there was like, uh, you know, rumors swirling that like the Montreal Canadiens had a, had a pair of gloves with Hosa's name on it. And there was like some weird things. It's not like it is now with like social media is all crazy, right? Like you, you'd see that stuff and debunk it or know it right away. But, 
it was uh there was there was some things going around and obviously he was like a big name guy that was at the deadline and rightfully so with his career and what he was and you know, um, you know, what was Don Waddell kind of looking to get for him and what was he going to do with him and where would he end up? So that, that was kind of the big fish. I think that year leading up to that, to that deadline, uh, especially in the last few days with, with kind of the rumors that were buzzing about him. Yeah. So that's 2008. And, yeah. it, you know, like you mentioned, like, he, were you not, weren't you Sid's road yeah. roommate? Uh, and like, did you, so, you know, so the rumors are out there and the Penguins are looking to make a move and, and the Thrashers are looking to, they can't afford Marion Hosa moving forward. So like, you know. do you think that you're like, are you worried? Are you, are you <laughs> starting to wonder, well, I wonder if this happens, could it be me? Or what's that like for you as a young I player? Was, uh, I don't know the word, was it naive? I don't know. I just didn't think about it. I didn't like think I would be like, you know, it was just like we had a good team. I think we were battling for first place in our conference at the time, too, with like Montreal that year. Like we we kind of, you know, we made the playoffs year before, lost out Ottawa, beat us, and they went to the final and lost to Anaheim. Uh, and then the next year was like we knew we were going to be good. So it was like we were we were good. We were doing good. But, of course, lead up to that deadline, I think, you know, obviously Ray Shiro knew that, too. And he's like, how do I beef this team up a little bit? Like we might need to do something. But in my mind, I was like, ah, I'm young. I'm not like I'm kind of like middle of the lineup type of, you know, third line winger in, you know, the minds, I think, on a good good team, maybe even a fourth line winger, maybe on a really good team or a good team. So it's like, you know, where do you fit in? And uh, I was like, ah, I think I'm pretty safe. Like, you know, I'm, I'm Sid's friend. We're roommates on the road. Like he's the he's like the man. Like they're not going to they're not going to rock, you know, rock his boat too much. Like, you know, I, I might be OK. Like, I, I don't know. Like that's the you know, the the, the the card in the deck, the trump card, you know, is like. <laughs> You know, that's how that's what I was thinking. Right. Like like that has anything to do with like the business of hockey at all. So it was uh, <laughs> it was uh, it was a day that I was Bernie. I was sleeping sound like a baby. We played the Islanders that night. I was I was sleeping pretty good until all hell broke let loose in my world. Yeah. <laughs> so how so how do you find out? Because I think. And I, I always, I, I talk to people on the Atlanta end of things. Uh, I'm good friends with John Manasso, who used to be the beat reporter for the uh, AJC. I, I want to say they were in Montreal, the Thrashers. Yeah, they but, were. Yeah. And so, how do you find out? How does it unfold for you? What's that day like? So that day is morning skate, regular game day. Come off the ice, go eat, go back, go to bed. Sid was not on the road trip because he had a he had an injury at the time. I think he had a high ankle sprain or something, an ankle injury. Mm-hmm. So I had my own room to myself, which is at the time, you know, players had roommates. So him and I were roommates. He wasn't on the trip. He was hurt. So I had my own room, which I thought was weird because I was, you know, I wasn't like a veteran player on our team. I was only within like the first three years of, of being there. So that we had other guys that – you know, possibly could have used that room and I would have just bumped in with someone else, like not a big deal, but yeah, I got my own room, maybe perks of being Sid's roommate. They just <laughs> gave me my own. I don't know. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's just a regular day. So I, was, I usually sleep from two to four. That's my move. I love that part of the day. That was like my favorite thing. And at like three o'clock, which is Eastern time, which is, uh, you know, the deadline. Yeah. It was like three Oh, like, to be honest, it was just after three because my phone, I had a cell phone. It was like going crazy. 
And it actually woke me up and it was, my mom was calling me and my mom told me she saw on TV pretty much. Yeah. She told me I got traded because she saw it on TV, but the conversation was a little different. It was like, uh, hello. And she's like, Hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, mom, I have a game tonight. Why are you calling me? And she's like, Oh, you don't know. And I go, what did I get traded? And she goes, Oh my boy. And then, which leads me to go, Oh no, where? And then it follows with another, Oh my boy. And I go straight up. No joke. I go Atlanta. And then followed by another, Oh my boy. So she is all worried that I was going to this team that was, you know, a, a, a new franchise really yeah. in the league and has had little to no success at all. And, um, you know, everyone kind of knows that. So it was, it was a, uh, it was going from like, you know, this team and my mom knew how close our group was to like, she, you know, she came and visited and all the families get along really well. And we were all young and like buddies and hung out all the time and everyone was so close. So it was like a, it was a really comfortable, great setup. Uh, and uh, she knew that it, I was like really happy there. Like my heart was set with that group. So it, that's how I found out. Yeah. My mom called me and woke me up and told me that I got traded. That's, wow. that's the initial thing all because of the TV and you know, the insiders and everyone was yeah. were getting it. So now, now you're one of them, but so yeah. <laughs> what, what's the, what's the rest of the day like then? Like, do you, so obviously you don't play against the yeah. Islanders. So you, are you, what's, how's that day unfold? At what point are you talking to Sid? Because I'm sure that must've been upsetting for him, right? He's a, he's a young man. And you guys are, yeah. are good pals. Yeah, he's he was a young guy. And um yeah, I, I called him a little bit later after kind of the initial like first probably 40 minutes of chaos after I found that out. And you know, the guys, because I was at like three, the guys are now getting ready to go to the game. Yeah. And I and you know, that's like kind of like see you later. Like really, I had I literally it was a you know out east here, we travel pretty easy, you know. You know that. And it's like, you know, one day in and play a game, come home. So you got like a toothbrush, a pair of underwear, uh, like, you know, some comfortable clothes for like lounging in the hotel on the suit that I was wearing. Like, that's what you go with. That's what most guys have. So I got traded with that. Like, literally, <laughs> that was all I had. And um, I called Sid. I was I was, I was like upset about it. Like, I was kind of like, uh, I was like, like, cause he was living at Mario's. I'm like, dude, like, go say something like this can't be happening. I was like begging him to go talk to Mario. So it was kind of funny how, how like, you know, that's how dumb I am too. Uh, and of course, what could he do? Right. Like he's, you know, yeah, he's just a kid. And yeah. so it was, it was tough. Yeah. So I, I, I left there said like Michelle Terrian came and talked to me. And then eventually later I did talk to Ray Shiro and uh, I talked to the thrash thrashers as well. And they were playing in Montreal that night. You're right about that. They were in Montreal and then they stayed the night in Montreal after as well. So I'm like, okay, well, what do I do? Where do I go? What's going on? So me and Eric Christensen were the only current players on the team at the time. We went to the went to the rink, went to the loading dock at Nassau. They had our bags and our sticks waiting for us. We got that, answered some media questions quickly in the loading dock. And then there was a taxi sitting there waiting for us. And we went right to the airport with no clue where we were going or really what was going to happen because it it was starting to come together fairly quick. And like, what, what, and I think everyone was trying to just organize, you know, you know, for our team, it was like, they just got HOSA like, okay, great. How do what, what's going to happen here? And I think for the thrashers, it was like, we just lost HOSA. <laughs> so, <laughs> 
how do we say goodbye to our friend and our guy? So, yeah. And I imagine, you know, all the immigration stuff and everything that goes with, you know, transfers of, uh, of the guys. So, yeah, it was a crazy day. Got to the airport, finally talked to the thrashers. I don't know who, who, who it was that I talked to, if it was like Rob Koch, who I ended up running into the other day in Buffalo. Yeah. Uh, my son had his last couple games of the season there and the Kings were there to play the Sabres and Kochi now, who's like our guy when I was in Atlanta, uh, is now with the, with the LA Kings. So it was kind of cool to run into him again. Um, but I, they, they finally eventually had it. Our tickets were waiting. We had it all set up. We got in, we got to Atlanta uh, that team wasn't there. And then they had an off day the next day as well. So it was like, we didn't see the team for like a, like, I don't know, like a whole day off in Atlanta. We went to the rink and skated by ourselves. We like, it was, it was a wild, like first few days. Yeah. Meanwhile, I just have my toothbrush with me. That's it. So I had to get some shopping. I had some time to get some shopping, uh, Scott, which was, which was nice. Yeah. So I'll let you go. I got two, two things I'd like to ask you though, because here, the, the one thing that I know and you and I talked about this in the past and we, and some, we talk about Sidney Crosby and the kind of person he is. Yeah. And um, if I'm not mistaken, you go back to Pittsburgh fairly quickly to get your stuff, right? I don't know whether the thrashers are actually in town, right but tell me about your return to Pittsburgh. Yeah. So we played in Boston the night before <clears throat> we were like, uh, I think we played the Islanders first. I didn't, it didn't take long before I got back to Pittsburgh. Let's put it that way. It was like, you know, two weeks later, 10 days later, <clears throat> it was on the schedule. We're, we're going back to Pittsburgh to play. So I just had to get through the next few days until I could get back there. Uh, I had just bought a house too. So uh, my girlfriend, my wife now, my girlfriend at the time uh, was, was just there by her. Like, we were like, what, what are we doing? I'm living in a hotel. She's got the house. So we're like, well, I guess we'll just try to figure this out. She was working. She's a nurse at a hospital as well. Um, so yeah, I, I, we, we just played ball. I got hit hit into the glass by Lucic the night before, and I had a I got cut. I had to get stitches, like on my eye. So my I got a black eye. I look pretty badass, buddy. I I get there. I get off the plane. My wife was supposed to be there to pick me up because we played the Penguins the next day, and just bring me home. I could sleep at the house, come down for morning skate, get you know just get my life together. So I come out of the airport there where we land our you know private how we fly right and Sid's waiting there Sid came picked me up asked my wife if he could get me from the airport and uh, I was like what the hell are you doing here I remember saying that uh, he's like man I came to pick you up yeah came to hang out with me so it was nice he wasn't playing either he was still injured and uh, we hung out a little bit and he he uh, hung out at the house and uh, took care of me yeah so it was, it was a nice gesture I know we see different things of players doing that picking up guys at the airports and stuff new guys that arrive but that was kind of the reverse he's picking up an old 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 guy that left the team uh yeah so it was like the first time I saw him since the deal and uh it was it was it was super thoughtful gesture by him yeah so you're I mean you you've been on this side of it now for a while right I mean you yeah your people are you're you know, what do the Penguins do with this deadline and all those kinds of things? And you, you're part of the big machinery in Toronto at Sportsnet. Do you view trade deadline differently? Do you think, given your experiences, like, do you think you, yeah. on this side of it now, do you look at trade deadline just differently because you know what's at the heart of it and the, and the, and the human side of it? Yeah. Yeah, I think I do. And you know what? Uh, Bill Guerin, who came to Pittsburgh after I had left as well, and 
uh, you know, was a GM here for a little while when I moved back here and I got to talk to him. Of course, we know his personality and the guy he is and, you know, his career. Uh, I remember, I remember playing against him as actually the Islanders who we played, I think our first game. And I was kind of moping around in that game a little bit. I was still like, I didn't know how to take it. You know, it was like, sh- sh- like world shock, shocked my world. Right. Yeah. So I was like, well, you know, and I, I remember Billy G on a face off, he tapped me on the shin pads and he goes, don't worry, kid. First one's always the hardest. And I look at Billy is like, you know, he's playing with Doug Waite there, there in the Island. He eventually goes to Pittsburgh and wins a cup. Like, you know, karma for, for, for Billy wins another guy. So it was like, I, I remember that though, is like, yeah, you know, that's, he's right. He's probably right. Like that's true. So I do look at it a little differently. And it was funny to hear it from a, you know, grizzled veteran and Bill Guerin who had been around to a few teams. And uh, it was kind of like an eye opener, like, Hey, pick your chin up. Like this is biz. This is how it works. The first one's the hardest. Don't worry about it. It's like, you're not, maybe not going to be the last. So um, yeah, I maybe have a little different outlook in, in regards to that. And maybe I wouldn't say colder to it, but just more understanding, I think of, of the human element a little bit with that, but also a lot more respect and understanding for the players, girlfriends, our wives and families that have to really truly pick up the pieces and, like carry on and battle and kids and everything that goes on. Well, you know, you leave like their life get becomes a whole lot crazier with a ton more stuff on their plate of how to manage to get to the next step. So uh, that's one thing that I think is really overlooked in the whole trade deadline is, you know, what the significant others are put through and how much they have to deal with and, and, and organize going forward. Yeah. Good stuff. Listen, I could talk all day, uh, but uh, when uh, there may be trades happening as you and I are talking here. So um, it's always a pleasure. Look forward to running into you, hopefully in playoff time or whatever, but always a treat to chat and and thanks for, for sharing. It's a, it's a, to me, it's tremendous story. So yeah. Thanks buddy. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. I look forward to running into you too, for people and your viewers out there you're the GM of the media virtually on all the things. What good dinner spot. Where are we, where are we going for a drink after here? And you all, you and your crew always have to seem to find the best spot. So I look forward to doing that again soon. Yeah. Me too, my friend. Thank you so much. This uh, Jay is an absolute treat for me. I had to look up your new title now, senior vice president of legal and business affairs with the Tampa Bay lightning. That's a great title, by the way. <laughs> it's sort of uh, sort of full circle when I started my my career. I I graduated from uh, Georgetown University Law Center back in 1987 and went to work for a law firm in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, called McNeese, Wallace, and Nurick. And it was there that I did a lot of work for Hershey Entertainment and Resort Company, uh, right? And ultimately went in house there as the assistant to the president, and then the hockey opportunity. And I've been doing hockey really ever since till I came back here in the nonprofit capacity in, in community hockey for the last seven years. And now, uh, you know, back to, to doing legal. So. Yeah. Well, it's, and it's, and there is a sort of circular element to this course, the lightning back-to-back Stanley cup champs in uh, 20 and 21 uh, but I want to ask you about some of your experiences when you were the GM of the Lightning and, of course, rolling toward the first Stanley Cup championship in Tampa in 2004. And I, I just think you have such a great perspective on the whole trade deadline uh, period of time. And I wonder, 
when you think back to leading up to that playoff run in 2004, it just stepping back and you look at the trade deadline period, can you, was it, is it like, seem like a million miles away in terms of the attention and the buzz and, like when you think of trade deadline now compared to when you were putting together that oh Stanley Cup winner in 04. Yeah, it's, I mean, the, the, the attention that is focused on it now. I mean, there's certainly a, attention focused on it back then too, but I, I was always, I was a, a contrarian in that I, I never wanted to wait until the deadline. I, I didn't want to, I, I wasn't looking to make the big news splash on the deadline day or the day before and kick things off. I, I always wanted to try to improve our team well ahead of time. And, and you talk about 04. I mean, I, I very much remember in 04 that we had identified that we needed an experienced defenseman, that we, we needed to improve our blue line. And, and certainly, I'd be lying if I said that it was improve our blue line so we win the Stanley Cup. It, it was improve our blue line so we can win another round, maybe maybe reach a conference final. I mean, that's if you look at it historically, that 0203 season, yeah. when we had finished first in the South, the old Southeast Division in the regular season, and, and then we, we beat the Washington Capitals in the first round. That was the first time in franchise history that we'd won a round in the in the postseason. And, and so, you know, fast forward 0304, again, we we win the Southeast Division. In fact, we're the, the top team in the East in the regular season. And 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 you know, that whole thing was can we advance further than just winning one round? And and so I we knew we wanted a defenseman and we needed a defenseman. And, and my whole thing was, if we can identify and acquire that defenseman well before the trade deadline, by the time the trade deadline gets here and it rolls around, you know, now that player is integrated into our, our room, our culture, our way of doing things. And as you know, uh, you know, our head coach then was John Tortorella. And so we we very much had a certain way of doing things and uh, the, you know, the expectations from the coach. So that was, that was kind of, and I, and I, I was always that way that I wanted to try to get it done as soon as I could. Can't always do it because it takes, as you know, you know, you have to have a dance partner, but we were fortunate in 04 to be able to, to do that deal with Columbus for Daryl Sador uh, the end of January of, of 04. Do you remember, and again, because I, I, I think people maybe, unless you're a, a Bolts fan or a fan of the history of the Bolts, you, you might sort of gloss over that addition of Daryl Sador, and yet he was so important to sort of the fabric of that team. Like, I don't know, do you remember talking to John about Daryl specifically, or do you remember how the deal came down? And, and at, when it was done, were you like, we might not do anything else or. Yeah. The, uh, you know, it's, I, I do remember that. I mean, first of all, Torts and I, we, we talked all the time about the hockey team and about what we need and, and the strengths and weaknesses. I, you know, I always felt that it was a, a real, a real skill that John had in terms of, you know, not, not being over the top negative about players, but then also not pumping their tires in a way that wasn't realistic. That 
that evaluation ability was was always very good. I, I like to joke about it that you know after a game, I'd go in the room and and Torch we we lose a game and Torch would be so upset with a particular player and you know he was he was the dog's breakfast tonight and then this guy can't play that's terrible, or or conversely. You know, he, he might be singing the praises of one of the guys. Boy, he was really good tonight. And 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 he would always say, but I'm going to watch the tape. I'm going to watch the tape. And he would, and not every time, but, you know, it would happen that I'd go in the next morning and he'd say, you know, I told you so-and-so was so bad last night. He wasn't as bad as I thought. You know, or, or conversely, so-and-so was good, but not as good as I thought. But that was a constant, you know, like we, we were evaluating all the time. And and Sador was a guy that you know I had had conversations as as you do right you the GM you pick up the phone you talk to other GMs and and you talk about what it is that you are looking for what are they looking for uh, and and it was early on in the conversations with Doug McLean who at that time was the GM in Columbus that you know Sid's name came up and and I inquired about him and. And it was a case of, well, yeah, for the right asset coming back, you know, we'd be willing to move him sort of thing. And, and we were fortunate here in that not only do we have a guy like Torts who, who knew the league and knew players, uh, really our entire coaching staff, Craig Ramsey was on that staff as the associate coach. And, and, and so you got the input from them. But we also had a very, very good pro scouting group. You know, Bill Barber, uh, Bill was uh, my director of player personnel. And so he was out there on the road all the time watching players. Rick Patterson, who is still in the game with Anaheim, you know, uh, he he was our chief pro scout. So those guys were providing that kind of input and, and guidance. And and we felt that we had a real solid book on on Sador. And and so, you know, we we again, not that we said this is going to be the missing piece to win a Stanley Cup. We we weren't deluding ourselves there, but that this is a player who, you know, we think we can win more than just the one round. And, and you know, maybe we can even get to uh, uh, an Eastern Conference final and, and, and give it a go there. So that that was really the, the thinking. Uh, at the time, and and I will tell you, Scott, when we did the when we did the deal, I, I always knew uh, how popular it was in the room and with the players and what they thought about it. We were we were on the road when we finally pulled the trigger, and and uh, and so it was announced. I believe we were in Pittsburgh at the time, and I had gone out to the bus. We were playing that night. And I had gone out and sat in my usual seat, uh, you know, behind the driver in the front of the bus. And and when Dave Anderchuk, our captain, got on the bus, uh, we made eye contact and he gave me a big head nod, big, big head nod, nodding his head. And as he went by me, he he put his hand on my shoulder and, you know, squeezed my shoulder. <laughs> and, and so I, I knew then that, you know, trade's okay as far as the boys are concerned. <laughs> Well, again, it, you know, a lot of time has passed. The game is different. You know, that's that happens before there's a salary cap. So, yeah. But I think of what the Bolts have done and what Julian has done. Julian Breezeball has done the last couple of years, and it strikes me that there are, it, I, to me, there are some parallels, right? I mean, that Julian identified a very specific need for your yep. team the last two years, went out, 
it wasn't cheap, but identified those needs, filled the needs, and, and here you are with back-to-back upwards. Do you see some of that? Yeah, I do. You know what? And I give Julian, I, I respect him and think so highly of the work that he's done. You know, there was no doubt in my mind that after we got knocked out in the first round by Columbus, uh, what was that? 18, 2018, 2019. Yeah. Three years ago. Yeah. Uh, 2019 that we, we had to get harder to play against. We, We just had to get harder to play against. And, and so, you know, what does he do? I mean, he, he goes out and he gets the, you know, the, the Barkley Goudreau's and the Coleman's and the, and, and the Pat Maroons. And yep. without those guys, we don't win. And, and I, I remember at the time when he did the deals, everybody's bemoaning, oh, it's a first-round pick. You're giving up a first-round pick. Yeah, I get it. But when you have a team that's as talented as this Lightning team was at the time, and, and you identify as a management group and a coaching staff, your, your hockey ops people identify this is what we need. You know, hey, when, when you're skating that trophy around and when you have all the residuals from having won that cup, you know, with your fan base and your sponsors and the whole bit, you're, you're not sitting there bemoaning that, oh, yeah, but we don't have a first. You know, <laughs> I don't, we, yeah. we, don't have, we don't have a first that would have been at the very end of the first round. You know, uh, you just don't. So I... I, I really, I think he's he's done a masterful job at, at identifying exactly what the team needs and then identifying who fits that, that mold, who fits the bill, and then finding a way to go out and get them. Before I let you go, I, I want to ask, we talked, you know, we've talked about three Stanley Cup wins, but th- there have been, you know, some moments where you've had to, you've been on the other side of it. And I, I, I was thinking about this the other day, because you and I have had this conversation and I had this conversation with Brad Richards a number of times, but I happened to be in Dallas when, and I was 2008 at trade deadline and things had changed uh, certainly in terms of ownership in Tampa, but it's always stuck with me, the conversation with Brad about leaving Tampa and of course playoff MVP in 04 and part of that incredible group with Marty St. Louis and Vincent LeCavalier and, and I wonder if you, I don't know if you think about it at trade deadline time, but that must have been an incredibly emotional thing. Absolutely. To, to say goodbye to Brad Richards. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it's, you're right, ownership had changed and, and uh, decisions are being made as far as, you know, what, what the new owners wanted to do. And uh, it, it's, for me, it's incredibly hard. I, I, uh, you know, that, that's not something that I enjoy when you get that close to those guys. I mean, you go back and, and, you know, Tim Taylor made the comment in 04 that the, the late Freddie Shiro with his Flyers teams had said that, you know, we win today, we walk together forever, boys. And, yeah. and it's more than just a, a, a saying. It's more than just a statement. It's true. Yeah. Th- yeah. Those, those guys, you know, you'd, you'd lay down your life for the, the guys that you won with like that. And, and to have to send one of them out and, and the player who didn't ask, right? It, it's yeah. not a case where the player is saying, hey, I, I want out. I, I want a fresh start. I need a fresh start. I Whatever. My family, you know, we, we want to be in another city. It, it wasn't that. And, and that, that was hard. I, I'll tell you the other one that, that was hard. And, and that uh, from, from that with that 04 team, 
uh, and it didn't pan out was that, you know, when we couldn't re-sign Hobby Bullen and Hobby Bullen yeah. left as a free agent, signed with the, the Hawks, you know, we, we struggled to find a goaltender. Yeah. And I had had Mark Denny when I was in Hershey. And, you know, I always looked at the way Columbus played, and I always felt that, yeah, he gives up that one bad one a game, but it's because of where he is. It's be, because of the supporting cast. And, and I always felt that if he were in a different situation, such as ours, that, you know, he yeah. could be the answer. And, and to get that deal done, that took Freddie Modine. Yeah. And to take Freddie Modine out of that room, it, it, was, it was not good. It, you know, like that, that's just the opposite of the reaction that Andrew Chuck had with Sador. Right. That, yeah. that was not good. It was not well received. And, and you know, he, and, and Mark never achieved a success here that we hoped he would. So uh, you do, you get on both sides of that. And, and I, I think if you're a human being, it's difficult. You know, if, if, you're, yeah. if you're a robot and you don't have any emotion, then, then I guess you just wheel and deal and they're, they're widgets. But that's, that's not how I, I viewed those guys. And, and I, I just, you know, the, I think it's important as an organization that you do form relationships with your players. And you care about them as people. Yeah. Do you, does this time of year always, like, do you always look at it a little bit differently? Cause you know, and you've been on both sides of it. And you, so you understand the emotion and the pressure. And these are sometimes make or break times for GMs and organizations. Do you, every year this time, do you get a little sort of jazz? Yeah. You know what? And I'd be lying to you if I said I didn't miss it. I, you know, when when uh, when I first came back here as the executive director of community hockey development, I went, when I left Calgary, uh, you know, it was nice. It was nice to decompress. And uh, you, you certainly don't have the same pressure handing out street hockey sticks and balls to kids that you had when you're when you're in, you know, in the GM's chair. But I, I miss it. I, I do. And and it is. It's times like this when, you know, you're thinking about how you'd have your staff, you would have had your meetings already. And, you know, you, you would have identified exactly what your needs are and, 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 you know, who can we target? You start making those phone calls to other teams. Now, again, we, we worked back then with a the budget. Like when we did, when we did Sador in, in 04, you know, we were, we were going to go way past our budget, just even just with that short period of time that he was coming in. And, and I'll always remember going to our team president, Ron Campbell, and I explained it. I laid it out, and here, here's the financial ramification of it. And, again, I'm not saying we're going to win a Stanley Cup, but, you know, like this guy can get us a little bit further, we think. And, and to his credit, you know, he did the old, well, we're not going to ask for permission. We're going to beg for forgiveness afterward <laughs> if it doesn't work out. And, and so, fortunately, it did work out. But, you know, now the, 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 the difficulty that you have now like you look at a team like ours, yes, maybe Julian has guys or a guy he wants to bring in, and maybe he can even get the deal done as a hockey deal. But now he has to say, okay, if I bring in that $5 bill, is there a $5 bill going back out? Because if not, now I'm over the cap. And that's, it's a real challenge. Yeah. Well, you had back-to-back cups, a couple parades in a row, man, it's worked out pretty well, but Jay, it's always a treat to catch up with you. And thank you so much for, you know, sharing your insight and your memories. I, I to me, it's a, it's a pretty special time of the NHL season. And thanks for, for spending some of it with me. My pleasure, Scott. 
Brandon, I'm, I'm so excited that we're going to be able to chat. And I only wish you were, how many feet are you away from the Nashville Predators trade deadline war room? Maybe you just take the phone and walk us by David Poyle's wall, see what the plans are. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's where the good stuff is. I'm about, uh, probably about 50 feet away. So um, I'm probably better on this side of the wall right now. <laughs> well, it's great to catch up uh, with you. Um, remind uh, all of us, how long have you been doing team services for the Predators? And, and maybe what's, what's this time of year like for you and your colleagues uh, on 32 or 31 other NHL teams? Uh, this would be, for team services, this would be about year four. One of the 19 with the organization. Um, yeah, this is a, this is a crazy time of year for, for everybody in, in all operations or all hockey operations roles, I guess. Um, I guess maybe a little bit more so in, in our world where we're starting to, you know, think about the logistics of things that are going to happen at the end of this week to start of next where um, we're actually in Anaheim this year for it. So being on the road is a little different than being at home and some of the challenges that may come up, but you know, it's all, all part of it and part of something that hopefully with experience you're prepared for. Now tell me, I know every trade or every transaction is going to be different, but do you often get some sort of heads up or what happens? And I'll go back to a couple of years ago where I was lucky enough to hang out with you when, uh, when the Predators acquired Brian Boyle and spent, I went to the airport with you, carried Brian's spear-like sticks to your vehicle. But what's, what happens when you get the call, by the way, we've made this transaction because it may involve people leaving and arriving. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny because I think it's almost like the snowflake thing where no two are exactly the same. Yeah. Um, we've had, we've had plenty of ones at home that should go really well. And then whether it's weather or travel delays or immigration or whatever, just, they just don't. We've had some that have been on the road where you think, holy smokes, how in the heck are we ever going to get this guy from here to there? And it actually goes quite well. And he's in the building, you know, 10 hours later. So um, for us, it's, it's getting the word from, from David, obviously that, that something's happened. Um trade deadlines a little different than maybe even what would happen in the summer in the summer you would you know wait a little bit to contact the player whatever here it's like you know we're probably gonna have to call you in the first you know 10-15 minutes after you've heard the news um to start thinking about what the next steps are and then from there it's you know like I said the proximity of of where a guy might be or um you know how we're going to get to him how he's going to get to us those different kind of things um some of their own personal situations come into play um whether it's, you know, a, a guy who maybe has family at home and needs to stay an extra day or two to get them settled, or if they're going to come with him or whatever, um, what our schedule is coming up in the next 24 to 48 hours can also determine that if we have a day off or we have some type of situation where we're not in as much of a rush, um, then we can probably take our time. There's also times where it's like, do you think you could play tonight? And could we, <laughs> could we get a private jet or something else? so that we could make that happen. Um, and, you know, like I said, kind of everything in between. And those are the ones I know about. Hopefully we don't find out one that I didn't describe because it always seems to be changing. Do, do, you, do you have one that sticks out for you? Or maybe there's, there's a couple. I seem to recall you were telling me, I can't remember whether you're in Edmonton, but are there ones that stick out for you that 
that you that really did sort of tax you and your staff and and uh, and the circumstances or or maybe it's just one that you know where you know a family you got the family into town sooner than you thought or there's some there are there ones that stick out for you yeah there's the the immigration actually tends to be the the hardest ones i'm trying to think cody franson and mike santarelli um a few years ago uh, probably about six or seven years ago now from toronto to nashville um shouldn't have been as difficult as it was uh what ended up happening was there was weather throughout the country which caused airport shutdowns which caused immigration offices to shut down um once the airports could go the immigration wasn't ready and we didn't see them for probably a week. The ironic part of that, though, was that we had had both of them in our organization before. So it, there was no introduction part of that. That was me just talking to a couple of kids who had been at our development camp about seven years before that and basically saying, hey, you know, we we know you pretty well. We know what to expect when you get here. We just got to see you at some point. And then on the other hand, we had uh, Dennis Grebeshkoff in um, I believe that probably would have been about 2004. 13, 14, maybe, uh, who came from Edmonton, literally came from Edmonton on the plane with the Oilers, found out when he got here that he was traded. And he asked uh, the, whoever their general manager was at the time where to, and he said, well, that's the thing to Nashville. And uh, we opened up the doors between the two uh, locker rooms and he walked across the hallway and it was a piece of cake. So um, yeah, you kind of have both ends of the spectrum there. Uh, and, and I just remember from our conversation in your vehicle with Brian Boyle, it's not just, you know, it's not just a guy and his gear and his sticks, but like, I remember you talking to Brian about, you know, places to live and maybe finding a realtor. Like there are family issues for lots of guys um, that also sort of come under your, you know, under your um, mandate as well. And, And maybe people don't understand that it's not just, do you have your skates and your sticks? Yeah. It, and again, that's a little where the summer is a little different than the trade deadline, the trade deadline. There's a little bit more of that. Okay. We'll take care of that stuff as we go. Um, yeah. Where in the summer, there's a lot more planning and everything, but it's absolutely important for us to think about the families and to think about a player's personal situation from the minute that he's acquired by us. It's um, something that I'm sure everybody prides themselves on, but we really do to make sure that players, know that this is a family for them as well. Um, it's an environment that they want to be a part of. It's somewhere that they're going to feel comfortable and that they're going to get the things that they need to do their job well. Um, and a lot of that starts at home. So if it's if it's a player who needs something himself for when he comes to town to feel more comfortable, or if it's his family getting here, um, or if his family's going to stay, having opportunities for him to get with them at different points. Um, you know, there's some guys who, especially with this, little of time left in the regular season sometimes don't choose to bring their families with them while well, they still want to see each other and maybe looking at the schedule and finding the best windows for them to come here maybe for him to get up quickly to see them or however it works but um we're 100 wide open to do whatever the player wants to do whatever's going to make his family the most comfortable when they get here and and to help him do his best job on the ice as, as part of that yeah just before i let you go you've been doing it a long time and seen lots of things i remember you and i talked about what was, you know, during the whole COVID situations, all those kinds of things. Is there anything, have you, what's your biggest lesson do you think you've learned, especially as it relates to the trade deadline maybe, but is it, you know, what's the biggest lesson you've learned in doing this job as long as you have? 
I think just that, you know, how we treat people and how we, you know, make them, them feel as part of their whole, um, you know, hockey experience. I think, like you said before that, you know, taking care of somebody on and off the ice is the most important thing. Um, you know, these guys are, are playing at the highest level possible. They deserve to be, you know, treated as, as well as we possibly can to help them do their jobs better. Um, I think that's really important. And just to be, you know, aware of any situations that they may have. We've had guys who have had wives who have been eight months pregnant when they get traded. We've had young families. We've had, you know, a, a player who may have played somewhere for 10 years and this is the first time he's been moved. And that's a bit of a shock to the system. And, you know, no two situations are the same and just treat people the way that, uh, that you'd want to be treated and treat them well. Um, welcome into our family here. I think we have a pretty good thing going that a lot of guys want to be a part of. And, um, you know, hopefully that, that translates onto the ice, but if they're comfortable off the ice, it's going to make them more comfortable on the ice. Yeah. And I guess the other thing I've learned is to always have my cell phone charged. Those would be the two things. Those are the, those are the two main, main things right there. <laughs> I would bet that that's not, that's the team services recurring nightmare is that the trade happens and you, you don't get the call or, but I'm sure that would never happen. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if I've been below about 20% without quickly finding a wall to attach myself to for at least 30 minutes. So that, hopefully that won't happen anytime soon. Good. Well, I, I don't want to jinx you. So uh, Brandon, this, it's always great to chat with you and always enjoy uh, catching up with you and hearing about what's going on with the Predators. But thanks for sharing your experiences with us. And I hope the, the rest of your trade deadline period goes absolutely swimmingly. So thanks for, thanks for taking the time. You hear that? That sound is the clock ticking, counting down to the NHL's trade deadline on March 21st. Deadline day is where it happens. And we've got you covered at Daily Faceoff with our loaded panel of experts, as well as special guest Pete Blackburn. We'll be going live at 12 noon Eastern and carrying you right through 3 p.m. Three and a half hours of nonstop hockey talk. Deadline day only at Daily Faceoff. Thanks for listening to The Suitcase and The Scribe, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.